Hey everyone, good morning. Good morning, my name is Matthew. Uh, welcome to North Langley. For those of you who are new to Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here. And I know you've already been welcomed by a few people, but uh, I wanna add my welcome. And uh, we, are, we uh, are on a journey together, uh, two campuses here at Walnut Grove and at Yorkson, uh, journeying together, exploring more and more about the love of Jesus, the life of Jesus. So if, you, if this is your first time at church or if you've just come with a friend, we're just so glad you're here. And we're thankful that you're on this journey, learning more about Jesus. Our vision here is to be a people apprentice to the life of Jesus. And we, we think that in, in the Bible, there's a term called discipleship. That's what we're all about. Uh, but we think that, the, that what Jesus was getting at was this picture of apprenticeship. So it's just what we believe, it's our whole life, both our minds, and our actions transformed by Jesus. So thank you for being here. Uh, I'm so grateful for Pastor Rob, who last week uh, spoke on, on fear, such a powerful sermon on fear. Thank, thank you to, to Rob. And uh, uh, my wife and I and our kids got a chance to be in Alberta to hang out with uh, Tanya's side of the family. And uh, Alberta, wow, in winter. That's like uh, not a great place to be. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, there were, there were these beautiful moments, right? Like it was great to go skating on a pond, you know, it froze over and, uh, but you can't walk, you can't run, you just can't get outside. You got to wear like spikes on your feet to be able to stand up outside because everything's frozen over. And uh, we, my brother-in-law lives like on a lake and he pointed out, he's like, look at the lake. And there's a, there's a truck that was ice fishing and it just went into the, into the lake. And I'm like, yeah, that's a bad idea. Don't drive your truck out onto a frozen lake. It's just really bad. Anyway, that was not in the notes. That is just extra for today. <laughs> all, all of those comments are extra. Um, so one of the things that, uh, that, w that I am excited about, I know you've already been hearing about it, the 5 p.m. service, our loved series for eight weeks. I'm so excited about these things coming up. Um, let's be uh, praying uh, about both of those things, praying for our service uh, this third service, praying for eight weeks as we're diving deep, quite deep, into sexuality and gender and identity, and that's going to be quite the journey for us. And so we want to be praying, we want to be lifting up uh, our services to the Lord during that time. So <clears throat> here we are, January 5th, 2020. How many of you feel rested? How many of you feel just like, you, you just got a lot of rest? Put your hands up. Look at these restful people. A good quarter of the room. <laughs> the rest of us, how you doing? How you feeling? Because, you know, unless you have a Scrooge as a boss, like technically you should feel really rested, uh, ready to go. But it's weird how the holidays kind of make us completely uh, frazzled, right? Not, not a restful feeling. And so many of us are starting the new year already feeling tired. You know, rest is a multi-billion dollar industry. From timeshares to hotels to cruises to vacation packages, they're all offering this final opportunity to, okay, yes, now you're going to really rest. When you come with us to the Caribbean, you're going to rest. Uh, I had the pleasure of watching commercials about rest with my father-in-law, who loves Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy in Alberta. So I'm watching Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy, and he does not fast-forward the commercials. We do have the technology these days to do that, but he's not using that technology. So I watched lots of commercials about mattresses and how the perfect mattress will give you the perfect night's rest. That's what you're looking for. When you buy this, you'll be rested. The way we set up our backyards are all about rest, you know, from, you know, hot tubs 
I wish, to lawn chairs, from fountains to gardening, is the hope is that we're going to kind of carve out our own little personal oasis of rest. Beautiful. Some people in the room are militant nap takers. How many of you are militant nap takers? You will not miss a nap. None? Come on, I need to see a hand. One, I see it. Okay, we're sheepish. Okay, two, three. All right. I, I am that. Sunday afternoon, it is my like, I will nap. This is like my opportunity to take a nap. Um, my mother is wonderful. She uses just this great expression for a nap. She's like, Matthew, aren't naps so delicious? <laughs> I'm like, totally, mom. Delicious, a delicious nap. Mm. We invest in streaming options to escape, uh, to get some needed rest. So we'll kind of escape into podcasts or music or social media or movies or video games in the hopes of finding the holy grail of rest. And with all this, we're just not rested fully. Rest seems to be like a mirage in the desert. It eludes us. And some of us, including myself, struggle on a vacation. Uh, We can't actually slow down. Too much rest, we get antsy. We need to, like, make something, do something, be productive. Tanya hates that uh, about me. She's like, Matthew, you're ruining the vacation. Um, But it's my belief that we only have a certain amount of threshold for bobbing up and down in a pool or lying on a deck in the sun or watching TV, right, flat on our back. Like, there's a limit to escaping and vacations because we begin to feel purposeless. And some of you who um, are retired, I hear from those who are retired that, you know, sure, you can golf, but what's my purpose? What, what am I contributing? So even escaping to rest, quote unquote, has a best before date sticker on it. So we're looking for rest, rest from a busy schedule. We're already feeling overloaded in 2020, rest from the constant 24-hour news cycle, rest from negative thoughts swirling in our head, rest from all the regret that we have swirling in our minds, rest from our fears, like Rob talked about last week. Maybe rest from relationships that are draining us. Rest from the lower mainland pace and the need to keep up with the Joneses constant comparing. With all these thoughts swirling in our minds about rest, we hear an invitation from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Here on the first Sunday of 2020, as I was wondering what God would want to say to us as a church as we're just beginning this new year, this passage came to mind. To all of us who are weary and burdened, the invitation of Jesus as we begin a new year, come to me, all you who are weary and and burdened, and I will give you rest. And Jesus, we would ask that that invitation would be made real today as we take you up on your offer to come to you. We pray, Jesus, as we see your arms open wide, that for many of us who might be quite familiar with this passage, we would hear it again 
fresh, this fresh invitation to come and experience your rest. Show us how that works. Show us the next step we're to take. But God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would leave this place inspired and knowing the rest of God. We love you and we thank you. Amen. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble of heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's a yoke? Well, as a kid growing up in the church, it's not the egg as I thought it was. A yoke is a farming image. It's a... It's a piece of wood that is over a couple oxen as they plow a field. Seems to be a bit of an image of a burden, you know? Like it's, uh, it's what you wear across your shoulders to farm. First of all, I love the fact that Jesus uses just a farming image, right? He's surrounded by farmers himself, and he's speaking to common people. And he's using images from everyday life. So he talks about a yoke. And, and during Jesus' day, a yoke was kind of this image of a teaching, and so during Jesus' day, there was a group of, of people called the Pharisees. They were religious leaders, and, um, you know, they loved God's word. They loved the Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the Pharisees spoke of the yoke of the Torah. The Talmud says that the Torah has 613 commandments, 613 commandments to follow, 248 positive commandments, things you should do, and 365 negative commandments, things that you are prohibited from doing. And imagine the yoke of the Torah on your shoulders. 613 commandments, that's a heavy yoke. Jesus, no doubt, in this moment is referring uh, to this as he speaks to, to Jews all around him who would have known of the yoke of the Torah. It's heavy. It's burdensome. What's the yoke you're wearing? Like as you walked in today, as you walk through these doors, what, what are you carrying? Like what's that, what's that heaviness upon your own life and shoulders? I want to give some examples of some of the yokes that are burdensome to us. There's the yoke, of course, of, of, of image, of uh, attaining a certain image, of securing the approval of others through that image. That, that's a heavy yoke. There's the, the, the weight, the yoke of, of consumerism. It's hard to get through Christmas without participating in that, this sense of having the latest and the best. And there's the yoke of people-pleasing. That's a heavy one where all my decisions run through the filter, will I be approved by these people? And will I be able to cope in life if they don't approve me? Some of us are burdened and are feeling weary under the yoke of, of sexual supremacy. Just this idea that sex and romance are the ultimate. Lots of Hollywood movies would get us to believe that, pop songs, you know, it's, it's the ultimate. And we orient our life around sex and romance, but it demands our entire life as we search for intimacy. It makes us weary. The yoke of finances, how many of us become anxious and fearful and depressed when after Christmas we look into our bank account and go, what? 
Seriously? <laughs> and it fills us with some anxiety. And we're trying to secure enough and, and we're just weighed down by it. Like it's heavy for us. Maybe we're trapped. Maybe we know we're our own worst enemy, right? Like we're trapped in this cycle of spending and we're just like, where is that coming from? And like, I'm getting myself into financial trouble and I'm just, what is going on in my heart? It could be the yoke of secularism. This idea of kind of removing God from the picture, creating our own uh, reality, forming our own identity, and then actually having to be good at it. That's burdensome. The yoke of, of our di digital age uh, on our phones and just putting our best face for the world to see and keeping up, not wanting to be left out. That's, there's, a, there's a weariness there. The yoke of bitterness, we talk a lot about that here at North Langley. The yoke of bitterness, the yoke of fear, the yoke of envy, the yoke of busyness. I could go on and on. What, what's... What's heavy upon your shoulders today? What's the yoke you've been wearing? And, and how could the gentle, humble teacher, the gentle, humble rabbi from Nazareth come to you today and lift that burden off your shoulders? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. It's interesting that Jesus promises us rest if we wear his yoke. Sound odd? But a yoke, is, is, it's, it's a burden, you know? It's a, it's a working image. It goes on top of oxen. Like, how is that restful? We'd prefer, uh, take the yoke off of us, Jesus, and hand us a Coke Zero by the pool. That sounds a little bit nicer, right? You know, swapping one yoke for another, like, how is that any better? Some might actually look at Jesus' teaching and go, that's a heavy yoke. That's a heavy teaching. After all, Jesus said things like, if you want to be my disciple, you have to carry your cross. I mean, I can't picture anything more yoke-ish than a cross on my back. If you want to save your life, you must lose it, says Jesus. How is that not heavy? So wouldn't it make more sense for Jesus to remove a yoke and then say something like, you're free now. No yoke. Well, my seminary professor, Daryl Johnson, he argues this. He says, there is no unyoked human being. God knows this about the world. Like, there is no unyoked human being because each of us are following some kind of master, some kind of teacher. Everyone wears a yoke. Our friend Bob Dylan understood this. In 1979, he released the very famous song, Gotta Serve Somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Oh, I'm so tempted to go fully in, but I didn't. <laughs> Echoing the words of Jesus, though, Dylan draws the line in the sand. The question is not if we're going to serve somebody or if we're going to wear a yoke. The question, really, when we think about what it means to be human, is like, who are we following? Like, who are we going to serve? Like, what, what yoke are we going to wear? 
So the question we have to ask is, all right, well, if I have to wear a yoke in life, whose yoke do I want to wear? And what does the yoke of Jesus look like? Well, let's back things up. Remember, sometimes we as Christians find these beautiful verses and then we just, you know, pull them out of context and we don't think about the verses around them. Well, let's just listen a little bit to what Jesus says before these famous verses. He begins to pray in verse 25, and he's praying this beautiful prayer. And in verse 27, he says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Well, what is that about? Well, just notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying everything has been committed to me by my Father. So my my Father has given everything to me. The Son, that's Jesus, now gets to reveal to the world the heart of God. Jesus is like, that's my role. I take all the goodness of this relationship, this intimate relationship I have with the Father, and then I get to share it with the world. That's the yoke. So Daryl Johnson points this out. He says, Jesus' yoke is his own relationship with the Father. Jesus' yoke the one he wants to give you, is his own relationship with the Father. Well, think about that. Like, what does Jesus experience with the Father? Love, nearness, intimacy, truth. Like, Jesus' relationship with the Father is absolute love. And he says, that's the yoke I want to put upon you. That's what I want you to feel. That's the kind of teaching and it's the way I want you to live. I want you to wear upon your own shoulders the easy and the light love that I share with the Father. Think about it. Think about Jesus. Like, like you might be new to Jesus. This might be your first day in church, so you don't know a ton about his life. Maybe you've picked up a few stories along the way. Some of you have followed Jesus for like 50, 60 years. Wherever you're at, just think of what you know about Jesus. Think about the yoke that he wore. It was of acceptance, it's of truth. Notice that Jesus, just let me give you a couple examples. He's never panicking, right? He's never panicking because he, in, he's wearing the yoke of the Father, which is a yoke of full control. Jesus knows God is fully in control. His Father is fully in control. Jesus is not walking around panicking. He knows his Father has control of all things. There's a confidence there. Think about another example. Jesus is never walking around as a people pleaser. He's just not a people pleaser. Why? Because the yoke he's wearing is one where the Father was already pleased. He was already pleased. Jesus had an audience of one, and that one was already deeply pleased with him. So his shoulders were loosened up. It was easy and light. He didn't have the burden of people pleasing upon his shoulders. Man, I feel like I I could just like go to a massage therapy or chiropractor, boom, I feel better. Walking around without that yoke on my shoulders. Think about Jesus. He's not weighed down by hatred. He's not weighed down by lust, by greed, by bitterness, by jealousy, or by fear. Like when you look at Jesus, don't you want that life? 
Absolutely. It's because he is enjoying this intimate relationship with his father, with his Abba. And he's like, that is the yoke I want you to wear. I want you all kinds of freed up in your life. I want you walking around, able to move your shoulders, because the one that matters already loves you. He's already pleased with you, cares about you deeply. Does he want to shape your life? We'll get to that in a second. Absolutely. But just walk in that yoke. That, that, that yoke frees us to rest in the love of God. You know, the world uh, offers, you know, all the yokes that I mentioned earlier. And, and initially, they seem great, right? Like when, when I'm offered uh, the yoke of, let's say, sexual supremacy or lust or something like that, like instantly it's, it seems like, oh, then I'll be really free. But we find that when that becomes our yoke that we live under, we become weary and burdened. Or bitterness or relationships based on greed or the weight of consumerism or whatever it is, like all of it seems great at the start, but it leads to a heaviness. But not so with Jesus. Sometimes his seems hard to start, but it leads to life and freedom. It's kind of the opposite. One of the yokes that many of us are wearing are, is that of angry politics. Angry politics. Man, I, you know, I think about Jesus and I think he walks around. He's well aware of Caesar. He's well aware of Herod. He's well aware of the temple leadership. But he walks around knowing that God is king. That's his politics. God's king. God's on the throne. Whew, frees us up from the angry politics that we live in, right? I just love Jesus' life. I want that. I want to be part of the intimate relationship he has with the Father and that it would thoroughly affect my life. So I want that rest. So let's talk about that rest. Well, as I said earlier, you know, it's not necessarily Maui or Phoenix by a pool or golfing in Palm Springs or the nap that we're talking about. I think those things maybe fall as a small part, subset of a larger rest. But when Jesus offers us rest, let's look at the biblical idea of rest. This is really interesting. At the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, we read about God creating the world. And day one to day six, there's a little refrain at the end of every day. There was evening and there was morning the first day. So God says, let there be light, and there was light. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then God creates a bunch of things on day two, and he says, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And it goes back and forth for six different times. But on the seventh day, so let's look at the sixth one, verse 31 of Genesis 1. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. But this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. There it is. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And there is no evening and morning the seventh day. Notice what's not in the text. There is no completion to day seven. What's going on? Well, in, as we read Genesis, and as we study Genesis 1, we see that what God is asking us to do is to participate in an eternal day seven. That the rest of God is for the people of God who enjoy him as creator and enjoy his creation in a permanent day of rest. Enjoying him. We were created for a forever day seven. 
It's the story of Eden. Right at this point, the story of Eden begins, of humanity, living within the day seven, living in the rest of God. You did not make the world. You did not create light. You did not create the animals. You, in day seven, are called to steward those things, to enjoy them as you enjoy God and as you enjoy one another and as you enjoy creation. So we participate in day seven. And day seven is all about God's shalom. It's where everything is made right. It's a relationship with God is good. Relationship with others is good. Relationship with the world is good, with creation. That is all good. You and I are invited to participate in that permanent rest. But of course, that's the first two chapters before the fall in chapter three. Sin comes into the world and it destroys so much of it. But God is constantly inviting us into his day seven rest. The Westminster Shorter Catechism describes it this way. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Come on, look at that. Enjoy him forever. in God because I need to be shaped by Jesus. Hello. <laughs> this is the easy yoke of technology. Don't have to yell. And so the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' teaching. It's like he wants to teach us how to do this. It's like, how do we do this? Like, how do we actually live under your teaching, under your yoke? And I want to say this as we begin to to explore this topic. Working under the yoke of Jesus doesn't earn us the love of God. Working under the yoke of Jesus frees us to rest in the love of God. That's a really different thing, okay? Because there is work to do. Jesus is like, learn from me. There's things to learn. There's things to do as you rest in me. So we as a church have wanted to do that. Like you'll know that in the, last, in the last year or so, we've had series on what it means to be a community together. We called it Life Together. In the fall, we looked at prayer, how to pray as apprentices of Jesus. Uh, we may, this next fall, uh, do a whole series, uh, fall 2020, on what it means to be people of the word, people of scripture. How do we read the Bible? How do we understand the Bible? See, all of these things, we're talking about sexuality, identity, gender. Like, these are all things we want to be apprenticed to Jesus. We want to learn from Jesus. And we believe that the more we're shaped by Jesus, the more we learn from Jesus, the more rest we'll experience in the eternal day seven the more we'll get it. Like, we'll get what it means to be human, what it means to love our neighbor, what it means to love God and worship God, how to care for creation. Like, all of it, we're living in a permanent day seven when we follow Jesus. So that's what we want to do as a church. Now, I want to say one thing, that in the rest of Jesus, 
that he promises us, he will ask us to do hard things. And that is not a contradiction to his rest, right? When we submit to Jesus, he'll ask us to do some hard things. I think about my kids. Here's a picture uh, right before they came down the stairs on Christmas morning. They're so excited. They're looking a little sleepy there, but it's like literally within seconds, they turn a corner to see their gifts. And they're so excited. And it's my hope that as a father, I'll, I'll, you know, kiss them, love them, tell them I love them, um, that they'll know that they don't have to earn their last name uh, in the Price family. Man, and as a dad making so many mistakes, lots of faults, still learning. But that's my deep heart, is that they would grow up to know that they are loved, they're cared for, and they're accepted. And, and I think within that rest, if you could picture this as just an analogy, but just within the rest of our family home, we want them to be freed up to explore their gifts, to to, to, to do fun things, like our, our kids are creating entire worlds uh, with, uh, with, you know, pillows and stuffies, and they'll make little kingdoms, and they'll move tons of stuff from our kitchen drawers and become a band with, like, wooden spoons and pots and pans, and, uh, they, you know, they, the, the most epic thing they did recently was try to build a treehouse in a tiny little tree in our backyard. Um, our backyard is really tiny with a tiny tree, and uh, they had cardboard out there in the rain. It was pouring rain. They all had cardboard and, like, hats on, and they were trying. They're like, help us build a thing, and I'm like, it's not going to work. Um, but hopefully, they're just enjoying family life, getting to be creative and explore and having fun. I love that, and I hope that they experience rest. But, but sometimes I will ask them to do something hard-ish, hard-ish like put your pajamas on, like clean your room, please, <laughs> like, like, you know, and then boom, they're stretched out on the floor, right? They're all over the floor. Dad, I'm so tired. I'm so, so, so tired. Daddy, I clean all day at school, and why are you asking me to clean my room now? And their bodies are limp, and they can't be unattached from whatever it is. They're like dead weight. I don't know if you love The Far Side with Bob Larson, but uh, have you seen this one, The Boneless Chicken Ranch? That's what my kids look like. Oh, you know, I'm like, you were just building a little kingdom. And now I said, put your jammies on. And no, they're down. And when I, th when I thought about this, kind of using this image, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's it. Like, we, we have a concept of what God's rest is. You know, it's, it's all the fun parts, right? It's the, but actually, God, if he loves us, he's saying, well, within my home, there's some things I'm going to ask you to do. And some of them are going to be harder. You know, and we think God wouldn't ask me to do hard things. He's promised me rest. But it's precisely because he wants you to rest. It's precisely because he knows how humans work. He created you. He knows how relationships work. There are some things that we're going to have to die to, some things we're going to have to say no to, some things we're going to have to turn our back to in order to participate in a greater rest, the rest of God. I've got all kinds of weird things going on deep down that I need healing from, that I need rest from. And Jesus may call me on a harder journey to say no to certain things, but it's good. It's because he loves me. And, 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 and I want this to be a little bit of a preamble, or I don't know what the right word is, but just a little intro to our, our eight weeks on sexuality and gender and identity. Because the, the yoke of Jesus seems really hard. And we're going to get into the into the details of all this for eight weeks. But it seems hard. But he loves you. He's only asking you to live a certain way. Jesus has a sexual ethic. He cares about that topic. 
And he does it because he loves you and he wants you to experience his rest on his eternal day seven. Working under the yoke of Jesus doesn't earn us the love of God. Working under the yoke of Jesus frees us to rest in the love of God. And it's easy and it's light. I know in my own life, uh, uh, there's a phrase by Eugene Peterson and he talks about ecclesiastical pornography. Uh, if you're new to Jesus, that seems like a weird term. <laughs> but uh, ecclesiastical pornography, ecclesia is, ecclesia means the called out ones. It's, it's talking about the church and how sometimes pastors or ministry leaders or those, those working in parachurch Christian ministries, we can have what we call ecclesiastical pornography where we look to other churches or we look to other ministries or we look to other things and we, we're like, oh, they're so much better. They run so many better programs. Their services are better. They're better preachers. They're just better pastors of care. They're just, you know, and you, and you have this, like, lust for wanting what they have. And, and that's a heavy burden. And, and that's a reality in my own life. And it's, it's, I know something that Jesus is working on in the deep places of my heart. Um, constant comparing, constant dissatisfaction. No. Like, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Like, so, in your life, like, when you think about your marriage, when you think about this the situation you find yourself in financially, when you think about your job, when you think about whatever it is, do you feel the burden of constant, constantly comparing? Constant dissatisfaction, you know? The sense of pornography, looking to things that are not yours. You want them to be yours. And in reality, what I know Jesus wants to do in all of our hearts is to go, just calm down. Like, I've got something beautiful for you. It doesn't look like it looks like for them. That's something beautiful for them. And it doesn't look like what it's going to look like here. That's beautiful for them. But I have something wonderful for you. I have something wonderful for you in your marriage, in your family, at your workplace, at your church, right here, in this campus, here at Walnut Grove. I have something for you that is different than anywhere else. Because I'm here. And he's also there. And there. And he wants to do something powerful. And I, I just want my heart shaped in that way. Whatever he's going to do in us will lead us to rest in him. So he invites me and you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take a minute and can you just imagine what life would look like freed up? Like remember those shoulders, Jesus' shoulders? Freed up. Freed up, able to breathe deep, not addicted to my phone, no anxiety over romance, no fears about money, no chains with our people pleasing. We're freed up. His yoke is way better. So how do we do this? Well, in 2020, could I ask us that the only way to do this is to take Jesus up on his offer. Come to me. Come to me. What does that look like? What does it look like for you in 2020 to Fix your eyes, your gaze upon Jesus. Come to, say yes to Jesus. Take that next step. I don't know what that next step is, but take it. You know, uh, at, I've told you the story before, but it, at Trinity Western, I was in this art class, and one of the assignments was to go to the Vancouver Art Gallery and to stare at a painting for an hour. And I thought, oh my 
goodness. Like, I come from a family of artists, but to stare at a painting for an hour, it's like, don't, don't, your eyeballs cannot come off the canvas. Like, you just have to look at the canvas. And you can't look above or below or side to side. Just stare at the canvas. You can look around the painting. You can come close. You can step back, but just focus on the canvas for an hour. Set a timer. And I thought, oh. So I, I went. I found an Emily Carr painting at the Vancouver Art Gallery. I kind of stood there, and I thought, tree. <laughs> Sky. Got it. Tree is green. Sky is blue. Right? Like, what am I, this is, I'm like 10 seconds in and I'm already struggling. And, you know, the more I just disciplined myself and I paused and I waited and I looked deeper and I was like, oh no, that's beautiful. And I started seeing brush strokes and the combination of color and I began to appreciate the artist. I was like, man, Emily Carr's awesome. And I started to see the beauty of like even life in BC and creation in BC and how she captured it. And I was just and an hour happened, and I was like, oh, that was awesome. What a great exercise. I saw so much that I would have never seen. And, and, and I think this is a picture of what, the way it's like with us in Jesus. We go, I get it. He loves me. Carpenter from Nazareth healed some people, died on the cross, forgives me of my sin. Got it. Right? And it's like, whoa. <laughs> Slow down. Like, let's zone in. Like, do you have the space and the margin and the time? And have you, have you oriented your life around slowing down and gazing into Jesus, into his teachings, into his life, into all he has done for you? Just slowing down and going, maybe there's some things that you don't know. And let's say you've done this for 50 years. It doesn't matter. Slow down and don't take your eyes off of Jesus. What does that look like for you in 2020? Or as we like to say, where's your next step taking you? Where's your next step taking you in your apprenticeship to Jesus? I want to give you some options here just as we're nearing the end, but I want to give you the, uh, I want to inspire you maybe to join a life group if you're not part of one. See, this, in this life group, the hope is that you would set your gaze upon Jesus. As you see Jesus' work in, your, in those in that life group, eight to 12 people following Jesus together, praying for each other, you know, side by side, following him, in, you know, studying the scriptures together. This is a way to just focus on Jesus. We have a course called the Life Together course. It's four weeks. It's on Monday nights. Um, it, it starts on uh, January 20th. And I'd invite you to come. If you're not in a life group and you want to know what they're about, this is a course that we have. It's just four weeks long. And as you take it, you'll actually be placed into a life group, but you'll catch the DNA of how we do life groups here, which is a little bit different from other churches, and you'll get a taste for what a life group is really like. So we'd invite you to come to that. It's a beautiful way to focus on Jesus. Um, I also want to just remind us that out of our life groups, um, and sometimes in other ways, we form what are called apprentice groups. They're groups of three or four same-gender folk who meet in coffee shops or living rooms or wherever to pray for each other, to encourage each other with some deeper stuff, deeper vulnerability, honesty, um, prayer for one another. I've just thoroughly enjoyed uh, my apprentice group. I love those guys and just walking with them. Um, it's just been a, a, a way to just focus on Jesus, right? He says, come to me. And this is a way that I'm, I'm trying to practice that. Also, baptism. For some of you, 
The next step is to be baptized. You've given your life to Jesus, but you've never made it public. You've never declared it through baptism. This is a way to zone in on Jesus, obedience to Jesus. And uh, we'd love for you to come to, to, to start uh, uh, the course. It's a three-week course starting January 19th, and you can read more about that. Just a couple more. I just, I want to say, for those of you who are brand new to Jesus, you're going, I don't even know where to start. Start with Alpha. At Alpha, we're just asking, like, it's like, standing in front of the painting for the first time. It's like, who is Jesus, right? Why, does, why did Jesus have to die? Um, who is the Holy Spirit? How do I pray? Like, it's the basics, and we would love to invite you to come enjoy a meal as we begin to explore who Jesus is, setting your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, um, and I just encourage you to take Alpha. You know, as you're coming back to church, let this be part of, of your next step. And finally, I just want to encourage you, for some of you who are ready to just to experience that intimacy with the Father, come join us in this room Wednesday night. It's our night of prayer. Come join us as we pray and worship together. Um, we're canceling everything this week. Uh, there should be no life groups meeting, <clears throat> I hope. Uh, nothing going on this week. We're all coming together on Wednesday to pray, to worship together, um, and to experience his nearness. So where's your next step taking you? At the end of Jesus' life, um, well, not at the end, <laughs> right before he's crucified, um, he's on the cross, and John 19.30 says this, when he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So as Jesus hangs on the cross, he says, it is finished. He does that on a Friday. In, the, in a week, that's day six. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, it is finished on day six, just as his father, when he was creating the world, had said, it is finished on day six. See, Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, is creating a new creation, and he's inviting you to participate in it. Everything that needed to happen in order for you to experience that rest was done at the cross. He rose again three days later. He defeated death. It is finished. He has won a victory for us, and we're going to remember that at communion. I'd love to invite the communion servers forward. We're going to take communion, and as the communion servers pass out the, the cup and the bread, um, I would encourage you, just hold on to it. For those of you who have given your life to Jesus, this is a meal where we celebrate uh, what Christ has done for us on the cross. So hold on to the cup and to the bread, and I'll come back up, and we'll take it together. But before the communion servers begin passing it out, I want to pray. Could we just uh, close our eyes here? and Just right now in your mind, would you see the cross and those arms stretched out saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And we notice that those arms are pierced arms. And Jesus, we thank you for the blood that you've shed for us. We thank you for the love that you have for us. And we trust as we once again remember the cross and remember what you've done for us to set us free. We just, we see the cost. And we thank you once again. Thank you for the cross. We love you. Amen.